HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're telling the stories behind iconic dishes. We learn what it will take to save New York's most famous egg cream, discover the importance of the goat neck in the East Village, and take a trip to India for delicious flatbreads. Our customers who come in to get egg creams and t-shirts, they love to talk about their childhood or their teenage years or their college years. I was living in uh, Nepal in northern India. And out there, there's a real famous dish, a classic dish, I should say. It's called paya. Parathe wali gali, or as it awkwardly translates in English, the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers, is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast. Local stories for a strong community. Each episode, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. Few things are as consequential to that change as zoning laws, the rules that say what can be built and where here in the neighborhood. Today, Bushwick is being considered for what's called a rezoning, the city's formal process for changing those rules. And everyone from city government officials to local nonprofit leaders seems to have a different opinion on what those new rules should look like. But one group in the neighborhood is attempting to stop the process altogether before it can change the face of Bushwick. Yeah, rezoning is is racist, is completely racist. Um, and, and we are no longer, you know, our... We're voicing this out and we're no longer, um, you know, being timid about it. And and I think that a lot of folks need to understand that. This week, we sat down with one of the leaders behind a group fighting to take control of Bushwick's destiny from the city's bureaucracy and put it into the hands of the community. It's Thursday, November 7th, and this episode is called The Battle for Bushwick. Nancy Torres is part of the team behind Mikasa Noe Sukasa, a group working to stop gentrification in Bushwick and around the city. Uh, so my name is Nancy Torres. Uh, I grew up in Bushwick, and I recently joined Mikasa Noe Sukasa in this, this 
in 2019 this year. Um, I have been involved in like the periphery um, in the past year since 2014. Um, that had uh, Mi Casa Nosu Casa initiated. Um, but until this year, I finally got involved and I'm an official collective member. You may remember Mikasa Noesukasa from our episode An Action at the Bushwick Block Party earlier this year when the group staged an art protest at one of the neighborhood's biggest events. So Mikasa Noesukasa is an artist and uh, gentrific- uh, anti-gentrification collective. So we're using art uh, as a, a weapon of... Um, to call out gentrification, to talk about anti-capitalism, to talk about uh, the specific issues that are affecting um, brown and black folks. Um, and that is all tied to gentrification. So we are using specific, it, Mi Casa no Casa started with the illumination lights of the uh, placards across the city uh, with uh, stating things like um, the, the colonize the hood, um, uh, what else? In Brooklyn is not for sale, and all of that came about to bring out uh, a way where first black and brown folks have always been doing art, um, and but as well now connecting it to tying it to our survival. Like there was just so much harassment and um, you know harassment and like pulling of our uh, you know pulling off the roots, I guess I would say, of our neighborhood and stating. Uh, all these like developers and landlords, you know, taking advantage. So uh, the folks who began it um, were really wanting to have something out, you know, and not just in the daylight, especially at night where where things happen and a lot of folks are not, or you know, you you pass by the neighborhood and you think, okay, you don't see it, you feel like it may still be the same, but you necessarily don't know that landlords and developers are knocking every day of every hour to get folks to uh, get out of the neighborhood or to sell their homes. And so that's how it began. Since we last spoke with the group, they've been active at other events around the city. Recently, uh, in October and about, um, it's been about two weeks, I believe, uh, we recently had an action against the Department of City Planning. um, And it was an initiative uh, across the five neighborhoods. And this was um, many folks, uh, Chinatown Art Brigade, um, uh, Take Back the Bronx, um, uh, BAN came about. They all, we really wanted to just call out this DCP um, because of their, you know, anti-racist. Um, they're, we wanted to call them out to state that this is no, they have the power to continue to remove people from their homes in a very hierarchical way. You know, they're not necessarily doing it coming into their neighborhood, but they are approving rezonings and they're approving uh, many different initiatives in the city that are allowing for for um, developers to come in here, specifically in tourist gentrification. Um, so, so many different folks from the Bronx, from Queens, um, Queens Neighborhood United came out in the city and we uh, protested in um, Zuccotti Park. Um, and showed up at the front of the building of DCP at 50 Broadway and really wanted to call them out. And it was really, um, we used our, we had so many banners um, that stated, you know, DCP is, needs to be shut down. You know, it's not useful anymore at this point. It's, uh, if you are not helping people, if you're not um, increasing the, the, 
I don't know, if you're allowing for folks to be displaced and moved out of the neighborhoods without any sort of um, consequences, you know, this is a consequence. We're going to come and disrupt your business. We're going to come and interrupt you because it's no longer, we can no longer just sit back and wait for folks to have these meetings um, about us and that are not for us and make decisions that are not for us. I imagine that for a lot of folks, DCP, the Department of City Planning, is a name that they might have heard, but they may not be very familiar with what it does or why this is an important organization. What is DCP and why is it such a large focus of Mikasa's work? Yeah, so the Department of City Planning is the folks who are who do the approval of going into a rezoning. So they right now... Uh, for them to allow for the city to move forward with the rezoning and as well recently have approved the four new jails that have occurred um, that have been voted into uh, for New York City. Um, and then that was also a way the Blasio used the town halls as a way to maneuver and skip through processes um, regarding that specific um issue, you know, but in terms of gentrification, they are approving the, um, for, an, they're, they're the ones that say yes or no of a rezoning should move forward or not, and at this point, they're the first step in a ways where then everything just trickles down, and and, and they have that power to be able to, to say actually, you know, how, and they have that power to stay what is your process and how are you actually involving community and how will this be um, truly grassroots community organizing where you're hearing from folks who are affected, who will be affected in these communities. One of the most contentious aspects of the Department of City Planning's plans here in Bushwick is something called upzoning, a type of rezoning that allows for taller, denser buildings in the community. Why is that so important that the height of a building changes potentially the character of the neighborhood for for folks who maybe haven't thought a lot about what it means for a neighborhood to be rezoned and and what's something that sounds as straightforward as the height of a building has significant consequences for things like gentrification could could you connect those dots so it's definitely it's definitely so many different things um first the buildings that are being constructed um we have to look at the economical um perspective the rents that will be um, set for those buildings is the AMI, the average medium income. Um, and those AMIs are people, those rents will be about 3000 at its like highest. Um, there's there's a certain apartments that will go at 60% AMI. Um, but you overall, um, anyone living, any apartment, um, new apartment in that in those new buildings, those um, rents will be extremely high for the income that are f- they're surpassing the income of like residents that are already in this neighborhood. So in Bushwick, folks are not making you know one hundred and twenty percent AMI, you know, yeah, or fifty thousand dollars. Folks are at you know twenty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand dollars, and there are even folks who are making fifteen thousand um, dollars. And you are essentially, in the economical perspective, you are essentially already blocking all local residents who may want to move out of their homes for something, uh, for 
a better, you know, amenities or better um, uh, setup, and then maybe they want to live in a better location, but in their neighborhood. Uh, But you're already uh, purposely already blocking them from being able to rent those apartments because the rents will be so high. Um, Second is, the next thing in connection to the rent is who will be available to able to afford those rents new folks who are not part of this neighborhood um and it's just um you're gonna have i think it's like i always think about how it's all connected in different cities and i think about a lot about california in terms of um, my sister lives over there and she's always she lives in rialto and she's already stating and this is a non-gentrified area very low income suburbia but She's already stating that, oh, it's very, you know, expensive, expensive. And then she doesn't want to move anywhere else in California because San Francisco is gone because of the Google companies. And I think about that here in connection to that because, you know, Bushwick has changed so radically in terms of what is in the neighborhood and who has come here. Um, and it's bars, you know, it's no longer, you know, you know, there's less and less bodegas, there's less and less community spaces. Um, and so the folks who will be coming into the neighborhood will be most, will be most likely our, uh, our age millennials who are up and coming and have, um, you know, $50,000 salaries, $60,000 salaries or more. And it'll be last families from my perspective also just it will not be affordable for um, low income families anymore. And so they will continue moving out of state as they have been for the past 10 years since Bushwick has been changing. Um, So that's the second thing of economic, uh, who will be coming, the demographics of who will be coming. Um, And then as well. The third thing for me is the cultural aspect that will no longer be. So it's not just a building. It's like people think of it here. Okay, 16 stories, it'll be too high. Um, you know, why not? It'll create more space. Um, but it's not just a building. You will, you're blocking who's going to be in those buildings. You are allowing for, you have a very specific focus who you want in this community. And third is by doing those first two things or in allowing those first two things, you no longer have the community that created this community. So that culture, that cultura that makes Bush, that makes Bushwick, is no longer here. You know, it's been black, brown, um, and then from I, my family's Mexicana, and uh, I just remember so many folks and so many bodegas were Puerto Ricanos, and so many folks have our. Uh, you see a lot of street vendors that are Ecuadorian, and it's just so many different things and different uh, institutions like like these bodegas and that make the culture and so many black parties and so many barbecues on the street and all of that will be gone um and i think that a lot of people take that um take that you know as a as a way where well things will change things are happening but this is a sense of community so many people have left their country and no longer and have built community here and to have that sense of community is a sense of survival um we if we don't have that you know that tia or you know that uh, friend or you know it no longer is a friend that's my tia too you know it's just 
we're here to support each other in so many different ways. Oh, you don't have this? Okay, I, it's not just, it's for food, it's for money, it's for um, daycare. It's all these things that, in essence, we do a, a, a survival of, like, a bartering um, that doesn't necessarily involve these new institutions and these new, uh, these ways of, like, capitalism. Oh, we don't, oh, we're not, we're trading in services because this is how we like are able to take care of each other, and I think a lot of that will will be gone, and most of it has is already gone. Um, but that's the main thing. Well, it's it's all these things that are encompassing it. Mikasa has a pretty clear cut stance on rezoning. What is your approach to the rezoning process? No rezoning, no rezonings at all. Um, at this point. Uh, we, it has historically been known that it has not been for black and brown folks. Uh, we uh, think in Williamsburg, we always go back to that because community folks have tried to work with the city, tried a whole decade, you know, and, you know, have so many conversations. And in the end, they never, they, they didn't get anything from it. Everything changed. You can see all of the, you can see that on the, um, the Bedford waterfront. That that is the epitome of what it looks like when the city you know says that they want to work with you, you know. And it is, and it's just ironic because I grew up going to that waterfront, and is it really is for a very specific demographic, um, either for tourism, for white folks, for even bougie people of color who have that. Um, it's and it goes back to class. You know, I think a lot of folks talk about, you know, mixed ra- race and class as, a, you know, interchangeably. But overall, the city wants you to, to talk about those things interchangeably. Uh, but it's not. And it goes back to these these very specific issues. And then I think in gentrification, those two things have very specific places in it. But within the city, they're just talking about income and they just want to like, who can afford it and how can we continue to profit off um, those folks? In other words, on paper, people who are in favor of rezoning may argue that it creates opportunities for affordable housing. But in practice, in places like Williamsburg, we've seen that communities of color and low and middle income communities are typically disadvantaged in the process. Are completely disadvantaged completely um yeah it is just not for us and and if the city i think new york city has a, a huge history of it not being for black and brown poor people um they and then they have to do better you know this is a city where we're calling out within this rezoning of bushwick mikasa noscasa is stating that the city needs to just do better um, in terms of not just this, but against all these other issues that are connected towards the the displacement, the brutality against like black and brown bodies, um, the city just needs to continue to figure out what is their um, how are they going to continue building the city for the future that looks that includes us. Perhaps the biggest difference between Mikasa Noa Sukasa and other organizations involved in the conversation around rezoning is that Mikasa believes a truly equitable process simply can't take place within the city's power structures as they currently exist. It cannot take place with these existing power structures. Uh, it has been shown, and I think that 
we we continue to work within these institutions, we're no longer going to be here. You know, if we continue to believe that these institutions can change, um, we will become stagnant and we'll actually not even, we won't even be here to become stagnant. And um, at this point, we, it is no longer useful to have them. And we need, we need community creating decisions for us. You know, we, yeah, we need folks who are actually living in these neighborhoods, neighborhoods um, who are actually building in these neighborhoods to be making those decisions about the neighborhood. After the break, Nancy on why time is of the essence for Mikasa and anyone in the neighborhood who wants their voice to be heard in the rezoning process. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 718- 362-3539. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala. At the heart of Mikasa's work seems to be a belief that the best future for the neighborhood is one that invests in the current community. They should be able to invest in what we currently have, you know. There is so many, instead of being able to begin that cascade of that, that will continue to affect our lives, they should continue to see, they should begin to do that work, what is affecting us. And, you know, there's just so many public schools in, in, in the neighborhoods right now that don't have any resources. There is so many um, um, parks that are underdeveloped. You know, there are all these things. And I think that, you know, BCP talks about parks and we're going to develop and we're going to create more space. Actually, Bushwick is said to be known to have a lot of green space. Um, but in actuality, who will it be for? And then that's always the question that we go back to. And it's the very most basic question. And I think that 
it's wild to me that DCP, Antonio Reynoso, our council member, uh, Rafael Espinal, are not, don't, how do they state these questions and then don't get, don't feel like they need to stop this process? You know, these are folks that have been, um, are from New York and have been, you know, living in these spaces and are from, you know, and I think it's also just like, it goes back to class. Once you jump a class, you know, you begin to start to feel that the process works, you know, start to feel that anyone can do it or, but there are, that is the problem and that is the issue of where we need to like remember, you know, where we came from. Mikasa, of course, isn't alone in trying to shape the conversation around rezoning here in Bushwick. So currently, um, nonprofits are also part of this um, decision. Um, nonprofits have always been part of um, rezoning decisions. The city wants to, has always reached out to folks in the community. Um, so currently, the current nonprofits are Riseboro, Make the Road, uh, Cuff, um, and these organizations have really um, have a stake in it. Riseboro will be able to have new developments. They will be able to construct and take part of what is the senior housing. Um, and I think overall, there are these organizations uh, have a lot of weight to this decision because first they have membership, and so they have. Um, folks who are part of their organization, not necess- uh, who are, you know, part of calling out, you know, the city as well. You know, they talk about there's so many different issues that these organizations focus on. But overall, and I've have been talking about this with with folks about how how organizations who have who are when we're talking about low income communities and black and brown folks and these are the community these organizations these nonprofits are the their membership is is that low income poor uh poor folks like black and brown folks so when we talk and so our questions I've I've been going through this um is why are they allowing this for to happen you know and I understand and I think that um they truly have this thought that this will be good for Bushwick, that this will be better for their um, members. Um, I know that Make the Road has stands is like a bad rezoning, is not a good rezoning. And um, and so they they have a specific, you know, state, a specific, um, what is it? These organizations have a specific, how is it? Um, have alineated what they specifically want from their council member. Um, and I think they these organizations have are completely necessary to be in our neighborhood. They do a lot of immigration work. They do a lot of um, housing rights. Um, and they continue to teach people about those, those two uh, rights. And as well, just be able to... And they do a lot of, like, community... Um, programming and without that I, I a lot of people will be falling into the cracks but it is it is to be to be able to look at what the history is what the historical um, 
history has been with, you know, the city working with nonprofits and has it been good? You know, how do you, you know, you could work with the city and in a ways where it's allowing you to continue doing that important work of housing and immigration and community programming and all that without having to say yes to a rezoning. Um, you could continue being, you know, doing all these things and all of that is so important and necessary uh, because, we need those resources and resources that are not uh, over, uh, they're not charging us for, for them. Um, but you could, you know, pause and state, you know, is this really going to be good? You know, is this actually going to work for my membership? And, you know, and I, it goes back to capitalism and how, you know, you want to continue to to profit. You know, you have, a, uh, like, Riceboro has a stake in it of developments and, you could just say, let's pause this. Can we actually be inclusive and not only allow, uh, you know, our memberships as like nonprofits because it's also very, um, to to be part of these voices. But you know, how do we continue to push forth a more inclusive community town hall? How do we continue to push forth uh, more folks in Bushwick and Bed Bedside who's a part of them will be affected? And overall, it will spill over to be more aware of this process. And everything in the city, they want to be able to rush it. You know, it's, it's a sense of time is money. Do other organizations in the neighborhood share Mikasa's stance of complete opposition to rezoning? And have you partnered with any other organizations in the neighborhood as part of your work? We partner uh, with a lot of local grassroots groups. Um, and it's BAN, Brooklyn Anti-Gentrification Network, um, and uh, across the city who are always, um, you know, fighting their own rezonings as well. Um, and overall, we're all on the same page where it's, you know, no rezoning will ever, ever help us in a ways where we need it. Um, but in specific, um, if we're speaking in like nonprofits, um, right now, these are the main ones. And, me, and I think there's more... And we're always, um, you know, working with other organizations that are, you know, finding ways to, to, um, you know, we're always working, we're always trying to figure out who, who can be a voice in that, in that space, you know, in that nonprofit work, because neither, we're all local grassroots groups. Um, but um, right now it's, it's, it's zero to none. <laughs> For nonprofits, I mean, I just—it's a lot of uh, um, politics within that world, you know. And it's about who, you know. Overall, a lot of people don't talk about it, but it's about who has power over uh, the decision making of how the neighborhood will look like, um, and and how do we move away in in a ways where it could be, how do we move away from this idea of power, where you know, it's more about how do we ben how do we allow for decisions to you know goes back to benefiting the actual people and i think a lot of folks get into into their ego and and into capitalism and all these things um but yeah we're working with brooklyn anti-gentrification network um there's always um right now the big action allowed for with against ccp has allowed us to you know really build more um a more bigger initiative in terms of how gentrification um, creates all these, um, you know, trickles, uh, all these other issues. 
Um, so it was against the Neon New Jails, uh, No New Jails, and a Queens Anti, um, Queens Neighborhood United, and Take Back the Bronx. Um, so all these groups, it's not just Bushwick who's out here trying to fight for Bushwick. It's all these neighborhoods fighting for all of us. Um, and that's what we're telling the city, that we know what we need and we know how to be able to protect our community. Mikasa's window for influencing the city's bureaucracy, however, may be closing, as the group is working against a planned start to what's called the Euler process, the formal procedures by which the city makes changes to land use. Right now we are waiting, um, working against the timeline of, of a December vote. Um, so right now we're waiting for, there's going to be a, I believe there's a set meeting for community board for in the third Wednesday of, of December. Um, so we're, we want the, to not go through that ULERP process and we are fighting against that because the council members will be voting for this to go through. And once that, it's already known that once it goes through that step, it's really, it becomes a legality. Um, it becomes of like, how do we legally fight this? And we're pushing before we even get to that, you know, we we even get to that point, we want to get begin to like actively grassroots fight against, you know, towards what, you know, our council members, we voted them in. And this is something that they have to be continuously reminded. And you know, I think this is just one step towards this timeline is, is so specific because we're just a month away from it. Um, and I and yeah, I think people are um, have a veil over their eyes, you know, all the community board and um, everyone who's been involved in this. And it's just like, you know, remind yourself that rents have not stopped increasing Um and whether and, and just a speculation of a of these uh, luxury buildings being built, that's just a speculation of like, oh, we're waiting for that rezoning to occur. It, it's already allowing for more harassment, more displacement and landlords are already, you know, pushing folks out. And it's and that's just a speculation. So it's just like while for all these folks to not see that. So this is, yeah, we're fighting against the December timeline before it goes into that process. Um, and once it goes into that, it, it'll, it'll fast track it. In the meantime, Nancy and Mikasa plan to keep fighting for a process that feels fairer and more equitable for the community. Yeah, rezoning is, is racist, is completely racist. Um, and, and we are no longer, you know, our... We're voicing this out and we're no longer, um, you know, being timid about it. And and I think that a lot of folks need to understand that, that, you know, if you're if you want to be, you know, currently look at what we're what's currently happening through the plan, the Bushwick City plan, um, Bushwick Community Plan, but also just look at the past, you know, and even in East Harlem, you know, that uh, there was organizations there, um, Community Voices Heard, try to work with folks and with that. And it's just like all these different things where there have been efforts, you know, you know, the people do want to have access to housing. That is not a question that has never been an issue of that we're fighting against. We just want affordable housing. That's and 
it's, it has, we haven't been shown a plan that is affordable to us. If you're interested in getting involved with Mikasa no Esukasa or learning about how you can get involved in the broader movement around rezoning, getting in touch with Nancy and the team is easy. So you can contact us. We have a um, couple of actions coming up um, and uh, internal meetings that will be happening that we definitely want more folks to be involved. Uh, you can follow us first um, just to stay. If You, um, you can be involved by um, in two tiers. You can be actively involved, attending all these meetings, participating in the actions. And within that, uh, you can also just participate in resharing all the information that we're, we're sharing on our social media. So you can, on Instagram, is Mi Casa Resiste. And you can also DM us if you want to be directly involved. Um, and then if you want to email us um, and talk more about it, um, it's me, you can email us at micasanosucasanyc at gmail.com. Um, there's just so many different ways you can be actively involved, which is through social media, which is a powerful, powerful tool that many folks ha- are, are utilizing in all movements. Um, and then especially as, you know, Instagram is continuing to block folks um, and it's part of the, the system as well. <laughs> We've got all that info and more in the show notes for this week's episode. We'd like to extend our sincere thanks to Nancy and the Mikasa team for sharing more about their work around one of the most consequential discussions happening in the neighborhood today. And as always, we'd also like to thank you for listening this week. If you enjoy Bushwick Podcast, you can do us a huge favor by telling a friend or even by leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform, which helps us reach more new listeners with stories like these. We'll be back with another story you won't want to miss. But in the meantime, we'd love to know what you're interested in hearing and how we can do better. Get in touch by emailing us at hello at hearbushwick.com or DMing us on our Instagram at Bushwick Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you and we'll see you soon. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, Tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.